We're continuing our sermon series. I feel like it's been weeks since I've been up here. How long has it been since I've been up here? Two weeks? VBS was last Sabbath. And then was I gone a week? I can't even remember. It feels like it's been forever. And whenever it, whenever I've been away from the pulpit for even just a week, I get a little giddy when I can get up. So I promise to try not to go super long today. Uh, but it's always really exciting for me to be able to kind of get back and open up Scripture and what we've been, what I've been studying all week. <sighs> okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, everything we have is yours. That includes our minds, our minds, our bodies, our souls. Everything includes who we are. And so now, Father, we ask that our attention would be yours. That you would silence everything that worries us, everything that we're looking forward to, everything in life that is pulling us away from this moment. We simply ask that your spirit would silence all of that. And for the next few moments, that we would just be present to you and your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So we've been on this journey, and I think this is week six or seven. I can't even remember anymore. I've lost track. But we're deep in this series on discipleship. And we've started this series on discipleship with really the first couple of of sermons were a lot of kind of deeper theology laying the foundation for what was to come. We've done some practical stuff, but a lot of it has really been this uh, kind of more dense theological understanding of God's reality and of what it means for us to live in God's reality. And so we've called this sermon series The Cultivated Life because just like a garden, Uh, The life of faith takes kind of this cultivation day after day. It takes this, 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 it requires us to show up in the presence of God so that we can continue to grow in faith and grow in love and continue to become more like God. The Bible tells us that we were all created in the image of God, but throughout life it's really easy for that image to get distorted because we go to other gods, other lesser gods, and other things that we think will bring us joy and happiness And this sermon series really is kind of bringing us back and centering us on what is really important. And this morning we're going to be looking at the topic of this sermon is called Practice What You Preach. So although a lot of this has been really theological, this morning we're going to be looking really at what does it mean to not be a hypocrite, right? So like, and and it's really easy for us to say like, well, I'm not a hypocrite, but I know someone who is. And it's really easy for us to look at someone else's life and be like, man, and they call themselves a Christian, right? We do this all the time, especially when you're driving in the car and someone has a little fish sticker on their car, but they like, how how many of you have ever been on the 55 freeway and you're trying to get onto the toll road onto the 91? I just want to see how many people are going to understand. Okay, well, I'll explain this. So what happens is you're on this toll road or you're on the carpool lane, the carpool lane ends on the 55 freeway, and then it opens up enough for people that weren't on the, t- on the, on the carpool lane to kind of get into that lane and then jump onto the toll road. But here's what happens. A good Christian will get in line in, when it's his turn to get in line, and sometimes it feels like it's a mile away. But then you have these non-Christians... <laughs> who will, like, pass you up, and then at the very last moment, dig in, like, just jump in. So I know that we probably are 50-50. I, I, like, I am the least Christian when I'm in those lines. And I don't honk. I don't throw my hand out the window. I don't do anything like that because it might be one of you, so I want to make sure that I'm not. (laughs) 
But what I do do is I go right up to the bumper of the car in front of me and I say, they might get in front of that car, but they're not getting in front of me. <laughs> you know, it's really funny. This last week we were on our way to Riverside and we were, and oh man, it, was, it took us an hour and 15 minutes and we took the toll road, right? So it was just this crazy, crazy traffic. But here's what we do, right? We judge. It's really easy for us to judge. So there was this car that got in in front of me. And I was just like, well, not, it wasn't in front of me. It was in front of the car in front of me. And I was like, ah, I wanted to honk, but what's it going to do? I decided, like, okay, just calm down. The baby was in the car. I was like, calm down. Like, you know, baby feels your energy. But then, like, that car wouldn't let anyone else in. And I'm like, dude, you cut in front of everyone. Like, the very least you can do is let a person cut in front of you. And like, Kara's somewhere around here. And Kara will just like shake her head and be like, make up your mind. Are you going to be mad at the person? Or is there like this sense of fairness and justice where if they cut, they have to let other people cut? But here's what happens to us as Christians— It's very easy for us to look and point the finger and say, like, man, that other person, they're not living up to what they should be living as. And we make these judgments, and I use that as an illustration because I feel like when we're driving, like, we resort to our more prim, like, primal reptilian brain, and sometimes we don't even remember that we're made in the image of God, and we just get so angry and judgmental. But it's not just when we're driving. I think if we're honest, a lot of the times we kind of slip into this this way of thinking and being and this mindset of always pointing to when people are doing something wrong or they're not living up to their good, you know, Seventh-day Adventist, like, calling or their, or their Christian calling. And so we're very good at looking at when other people are not living up to the standard that we have set for them. But so many times we, we don't always look at how we might not be living up to the standard of what Scripture is calling us to live up to. You know, it's like that verse that Jesus says, like, it's easy for you to see the speck of dust in your neighbor's eye, but you're ignoring the big log that is coming out of your own eye. You know, and it's just so easy for us to always focus on other people when we really need to be focusing on ourselves. And it's really hard when we've been hurt. Like, when you've been hurt, you can't imagine that you've done anything to contribute to the problem But the reality is, is that if you're in the middle of a conflict, you've contributed somewhat to that problem. But we don't want to acknowledge, but we don't want to acknowledge if we have done something. And so it's easier for us to point the finger at the person who has done something else. And so when we look at what the scriptures tell us, you know, there is... There is this passage where Brennan Manning, he's an old, he's not that old of a writer. I don't think he's alive anymore, but I read this book when I was in college, and here's what it says. The single leading cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an, unbelie- this is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. You know, and it's true, like as Christians, we are called to live by a standard that is very different than what the world is calling us to live by. And so what that requires for each one of us is it requires this sense of humility. A humility that says, like, I am imperfect and I'm only found to be saved in the sight of Christ. And God and the Spirit of God is at work within us to try to shape us into who God wants us to be. And so for us as Christians, it requires a deep sense of humility and willingness to forgive even when you've been hurt. And that's why it's hard to be a Christian. 
You know, people think that it's hard to be a Christian because like, and I think within our Seventh-day Adventist context, sometimes we'll say, well, it's hard because you got to keep the Sabbath and on sundown Friday night to sundown Saturday and it's hard to turn off the phone. It's hard to turn off the television. It's hard to whatever, right? You fill in the blank for whatever is hard for you. And a lot of times people think that Christianity is hard because there's so many rules. But if we truly look at Scripture and look at the teachings of Jesus, those rules that we make for ourselves, that's not hard. The hard part about Scripture, and especially the words of Jesus, is that it requires you and me to die to our desire for justice, to die for our desire of revenge, to die for our desire to make someone pay for what they've done. Like the hardest part about Christianity is forgiving other people. And yet that is what Jesus calls us to. Like the entire, like like the, the climax of the story of Jesus is that he forgives us when you were not worthy of forgiveness and you didn't do anything to like to earn your forgiveness. Like that is the climax of your faith is that Jesus forgives you while you were his enemy. Like, it wasn't like Jesus forgave you when you'd already been coming to church and you've been trying to get your life right. No, like, Jesus forgives you when you are as far away from God as possible, and that is why it's hard for us to be Christians because we are called to live into that very same pattern of what Jesus did for us. Yeah, so when people ask me, like, man, Christianity, like, yeah, I say, like, it's hard, but it's not heavy, so there's a difference, like, every, like good things in life are hard. Getting in shape is really hard, but it's not heavy. Or, you know, saving money is sometimes can be hard, but it's not heavy. Like, so there's a lot of things in our lives that can be difficult, but they're not heavy. And so following Jesus is hard sometimes. Let's just be honest, but it's not heavy. So one of the great, like, one of the people that we all, and, and just to kind of to keep in the same vein of what Brendan Manning says, where the single leading cause of atheism is Christians, who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, but then they deny him by their lifestyle, how they live. So we've all heard of the name Gandhi, right? So everyone knows Gandhi. Well, they can picture his face, but like, let's be real, we don't really know what he taught. Like, let's just be honest, okay? But this story will make sense in a minute. Like, he's the the person that says, like, be the change that you want to see in the world, right? So a lot of people kind of really revere him. There is something that he said one time. He said, if it weren't for Christians... I would be a Christian, right? And so, so here's how the story goes, and, and here's the background story. So the story goes that when Gandhi was young, even though he was a practicing Tibetan monk, um, he was really attracted to the teachings of Jesus and the Bible. So he decides to go to a Christian church because he wants to learn more about Jesus. But when he gets to church, they didn't let him in because he was not a, a high-caste Indian, so like of social standing in, in India, and he wasn't white. And so they turn him away. And so part of that is him, them turning him away. He says, like, well, like, is this the representation of Christianity? Like, if this is a representation of Christianity that only some people get in and other people aren't allowed in, like, what does that say about the God that they believe in? And so we often have these stories of Gandhi who says, like, no, I love the message of Jesus. I love the teachings of Jesus. I love Jesus, but it's because the people who call themselves by his name, these Christians, that so often we turn people away. Now, I know some of you might be saying, like, well, you can't judge God or you can't judge Christ based on his followers. Like, that's dumb. But the reality is, is that people do make judgments about God based on how you live. And I'm not just talking about whether you're vegetarian or not, but it's how you treat other people, 
how you care for other people, whether you're generous, although people don't always see that, but whether you're generous, whether you're kind and compassionate and patient, like how you treat other people says a lot to someone else about whether, about your, about your understanding of who Jesus is. So like we always have these stories of people who say like, you know, I was doing this, that, and the other thing, and I was just doing my own thing, and someone at work says, hey, are you a Christian? And you say, like, yeah, how'd you know? And they say, just the way that you are. Like, we've heard those stories, right? It's never happened to me, but I'm hoping one day someone will see me and ask me if I'm a Christian. But, right, like, and so there is this very real way that people are making a decision about God based on how they see you live. That may not be fair. Like, you should say, like, well, they shouldn't make a decision about God based on me. Like, True, they shouldn't make a decision about their understanding of God based on how you live. But the reality is, is that people are influenced by you. Which means that you, in essence, are a walking billboard for Jesus. And the question you have to ask yourself is, are you painting a loving, kind, compassionate, gracious picture of Jesus? Or are you painting a picture of a Jesus that is extremely wrathful and angry and complainer, and mad, and a curse word <laughs> kind of Jesus. Yeah. You see, this message on this, this whole series on discipleship is, what is this doing for you? Right? It's not about, well, that person needs to do this, and that person needs to do this, and that person. No, like that, that's the wrong way to look at this series. This series is about, what is this requiring of me? Because your relationship with God, first and foremost, is something that is an individual thing that happens between you and God. And so whenever you read the scriptures, if you're reading the scriptures, it must be asking you the questions. And it must be cutting you and asking you, what does this require of me? And so what ends up happening in these Christian circles, and maybe this happens in all religions, but there's these words that I want to introduce you to that some of you may have heard. And it's going to sound super boring, but just follow with me. There's a word, and it's called orthodoxy. Have you guys heard of that word, orthodoxy? Orthodoxy is basically this. It is right belief. It's believing the right things about God and your theology, right? So like right belief. And as Seventh-day Adventists, we're really good about understanding Scripture, reading Scripture, having our Bible studies. Like we're really good about orthodoxy. Like we know what we believe. We know our beliefs. But a lot of times what gets kind of lost in translation is like we may know what we believe well. And there are many of you who can sit here and have Bible studies on all of our 28 fundamental beliefs, like you're that good, you're ready. But there's oftentimes this kind of gap between our orthodoxy, our right beliefs, and then orthopraxy, which is right living. You know, and so here's the thing, like hypocrisy happens when even though we believe a certain thing, we don't always live up to these things that we believe in. So it's like you can preach about a God who is loving, but if you're not loving, do you really understand what it means that God is loving? Right? So, like, you can know things about God, but you really have only internalized it when you are living that way. You know, and so there's this in, in Scripture, and I think it's Paul who writes this. It's like, it's not just about following the law, but it's about having the law written on your heart, which is a biblical way of saying, like, is it, has it become a natural outflow of how you live your life? Because anyone can do, like, rules. We can do rules. Like, we like rules as humans. Like, we like to know if we're good or bad, right? We like getting A's when we go to school. We like getting on your uh, evaluations at work. You like getting great marks. Like, we, you know, 
That's what we are, humans. Like, we're always trying to justify ourselves. But there's a difference between what you believe and how you're living your life. And oftentimes, especially for us as Christians, there's often that gap in between. And that's usually where people will say, like, well, see, you're a Christian, but you're living like that. And so there is this sense that in all of us, we're all a little bit hypocritical because we're not perfect. So I want to look at a scripture, Matthew chapter 23. And if you have your Bible, let's use the Red Bibles because I don't have it on the screen. Matthew 23. Matthew 23, verse 1. So, you know, we, all, we often have this, <laughs> like, I love this passage because we often have this picture of Jesus as, like, this soft-spoken Jesus and, like, his hair is waving in the, you know, in the wind and he's just, like, floating on the earth, like, right? Like, like we kind of have this really, like, serene picture of Jesus. But then Jesus lays it, lays it down here in verse 1. So let's see what he says. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, so now, like to his thousands of audience, Jesus says this, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, so like the scribes and the Pharisees, so like the theologians and the pastors, religious people, you like to sit on Moses' seat, the seat of judgment, the seat of leadership. So, he says, you must obey them and do everything they tell you. So, on the one hand, Jesus is saying, like, these Pharisees, these religious people, like, they really know their Bible. They really know what the Bible says. So, like, they have orthodoxy. They have really right beliefs, right interpretations about what it means, that what the Old Testament tells us. Because up to this point, they only had Old Testament. So, he says, these scribes and Pharisees, these religious people, like, do what they say because they know what they're saying. Like, what they're saying is true. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. So you see, even in Jesus' day, right? So before we get before we get too hard on ourselves, even in Jesus' day, he says there is orthodoxy, and then there's that gap between right belief and right living, living rightly. And Jesus says, You can follow what the religious teachers say because they understand it. But do not do as they do. Do not follow in their footsteps and practice what they practice because they do not practice what they preach. Verse 4. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Again, this is an illustration and a metaphor by saying like they place all of these to-dos, all of these rules, all of these laws about how they're supposed to live but they themselves won't even start to live in the way that they teach others. Verse 5, everything that these religious leaders and people do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels on their garments long. Quick, quick explanation, their phylacteries and their tassels. So, and sometimes you'll still see this in the more conservative Jewish settings. Like if you've ever flown on a plane, and you, especially like out of like New York area, um, a lot of times you'll see these Hasidic Jews, which are usually dressed in black with their hats and their long hair. But oftentimes you'll see they have like these strings that are coming down. So those are tassels. And the idea is that while they're in between those tassels, this kind of hoopah, they are in, they are walking on holy ground. So the reason that they have that there is a reminder that every step they take and everywhere they go, they really are in the presence of God, right? And so, but in Jesus' day, they had those things on their, on their, um, 
I guess, on their clothes, on their gowns, whatever we would call it, right? And they also had these phylacteries, which they tied around their arms, around their foreheads, and they were big because they wanted everybody to see just how religious and how good they were, which I guess today would be like, you know, like, like, do you dress the right way to go to church, right? Because did you know there was a right way to dress to go to church? I'm wearing a suit, <laughs> which although to my parents, it should be the same colored suit, but that's a whole other conversation for another day. <laughs> but the, Okay, tongue in cheek, like if you're listening online, please keep listening so you understand what's going on here. But like, so we, we, we kind of often assign like there's a certain way that you must look when you go to church. There's a certain way that you must speak when you go to church. Like, you know, we, there's a certain way that you greet each other when you go to church. There's a... Um, you don't give online when you go to church so that people can see that you're putting something in the, in the offering plate so they see that you're a good, faithful giver. You can give online, by the way. If you just go to our website in the menu, it says give online. But, but, but like, we do this, like, because we're human and we're imperfect and we do this. Like, though, I, I hope that you would understand that what I'm trying to get to is, as human beings, we're very imperfect, and like, yes, every single person that is in this room, if you're a guest, please come back. But every single person in this room, you're all hypocrites, including myself. Because as long as we live on this earth, we're never going to be and we're never going to attain perfection. And because of that, then we're all just a little bit hypocritical. And what the Bible tells us, especially what Jesus says, he says, everything, he says everything these religious people do, they do it so that they can be seen by others they want to be called rabbi. They want to be greeted in the marketplace. They want to be given the seat of honor at the banquet tables. But what Jesus says this is, but do not follow in their footsteps and do not practice what they, do not practice how they live their life because they don't practice what they preach. Do what they say, but don't live as they live. And so Jesus would then go on to say, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. You see, the true path to Jesus is the path of humility. Humility about our beliefs, humility about how we treat other people, humility even with how we treat ourselves. The true path of ascent is the path of descent. The true path to this holy hill of God is for us to remain humble, and to remain humble is to always say, what do I do? What am I doing? What can I continue to learn? What is God continuing to teach me about myself? You can't learn something for someone else. You know, there's that saying that when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. You can't teach someone by force. You can't teach someone by argument. You can't convince someone by arguing with them. What you can do is remain humble and allow yourself to continue to be transformed and the hope is that others, as they see your ongoing transformation, they will also want to be a part of their own transformation. And so Jesus says, don't do what they do because they don't practice what they preach. And so then Jesus again says, so in, in Matthew chapter 15, it tells us this. Then the Pharisees, <laughs> Notice that Jesus only ever chastises and um, condemns and scolds religious people. 
That's us, by the way. <laughs> that would be us. Like if Jesus was here, he would come and, and say this to us. He says, Then the Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem, and they said this, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they don't wash their hands before they eat. <laughs> they answered. So it wasn't high. It, it, yeah, it was a tradition because you had to clean yourself before you came to the table to eat with others. He answered them, and why do you break? And, and so, so Jesus says, well, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? So just pause here. Let's do a pregnant pause here. The religious people come to Jesus and they said, your disciples are not living to the standard that we have set about how you are supposed to live religiously. Why are they living so badly? Why are they breaking all of our rules and traditions? So that's what they're saying. And Jesus says, well, why do you break the commandment of God because of, for the sake of your tradition? So let me, if you haven't understood what I'm trying to say here is this. There can be, but not always is, there can be a difference between the traditions and the way that we live out our faith. There can be a difference between that and what God actually requires of us. Are you following me? There is, a, there is a possibility that our traditions can actually stand in contrast to the very God who we think has given us those traditions. Like, that's, like that should lead us to the most deepest sense of humility because it must force us to then ask, where are my religious activities? Where are my traditions? Like, are there things in my life that I think are actually pleasing to God, but God is just standing there like, what are you doing? Like, I don't care about that stuff. What I care about is what? your heart, your relationship. You know, like, you can do all of the right things religiously, but if your heart isn't in the right place, God's like, I mean, you're missing out on the blessing that you could be getting. So they attack Jesus, and Jesus lays down the hammer, like the equivalent of today's mic drop, and he says, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your traditions? For God has said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever speaks evil of father or mother must surely die. So Jesus is saying, like, okay, you want to go there? Let me take this, like, let me make this, like, atomic. Like, Jesus exponentially takes this, this little discussion up. He says, you are dishonoring your mother and your father. You tell that whoever, you, but you say, whoever tells father or mother, hey, whatever support that I was giving you, financially, housewives, whatever, whatever I was giving you, um, whatever support you might have had from me is given to God, then that person need not honor the Father. So, for the sake of your tradition, you must avoid the word. So let me, that was kind of wordy. So here's basically what they were saying. Hey, mom and dad, whatever support I was giving you, I need to go give that at the offering tables, at the offering plates, and I need to like lift it up really high and drop it so everybody sees how holy I am. So on the one hand, and we preach this, and there's a sermon on stewardship coming up at some point in the next few weeks or month or so, but as a church, we, we say it is important for you to give your tithe and your offering, not because we need the money, but because it's important to be able to, to readjust our mindset that our money and everything we have is really God's and we're just giving back a part of it. And, and so what ends up happening is that these religious people in the first century, because they, they, like they understood that because that's what they were teaching, but then they also understood the human element that if they come to the they come to those offering boxes where they would drop in their coins and they made a bigger show, people would look and be like, whoa, that person is really giving a lot of money. They must be really holy. But what they didn't see is that they were neglecting to help their parents who needed help. 
And so Jesus says, like, <laughs> okay, my disciples don't wash their hands, big deal. You're going to get germs, whatever. Like, ceremoniously, we're unclean. Big deal. Like, Jesus was saying, like, your religious rules, big deal. Like, let's have some perspective. You're neglecting the commands of God to honor your mother and your father because you want other people to see you dropping this money in at the church and, they want it, and you want to be seen as holy and esteemed above all else. Jesus would later go on to say to those people, okay, your reward, your reward is that everyone will think that you're holy and wonderful and awesome. In this earth, people will look up to you and think you're awesome. But there may not be a next world for you because you've missed the entire point of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so what we find here is Jesus says this. I'm closing up, I promise. So here's what it says. Jesus in verse 7, after explaining all of this, he says, you hypocrites. Isaiah, thousands of years earlier, prophesied rightly about you when he, when he said, listen to this, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching only human percepts as doctrine. So Jesus, even in the first century, even when they had Jesus in the flesh, people were still living hypocritically. Every one of us is continuously fighting against the hypocrisy that lives within us. Listen, this isn't just for your own good. Like, this isn't just so that you can feel better about your faith. and better. Like, no, no. Like, we want to get rid of, like, our discipleship, our formation— is never just for our own sake. Okay, like for so many years, we've only ever viewed our faith in Jesus and our faith as only individualistic, and I don't care about anybody else. A, that's not biblical, and B, that's terrible, and C, it's not good for your health. But here's what it is. Like, like your transformation is also for the sake of others because people are constantly making a decision about God based on how they see you live. Like if that doesn't scare you, <laughs> I can't believe I just said that. But if that doesn't scare you, I don't know what will. Now, I'm not saying, again, to just do religious things to make people think you're holy. It's about a matter of what's in your heart. What's in your heart? Check yourself so that you can bridge the chasm between the orthodoxy and the orthopraxy. How do we bridge that gap so that we not only know how to speak about God, but that we actually can live our lives as a way that gives homage and worship to the God who is worthy of praise? That's why Paul, he says, your life must be a living what? Which was a sacrifice, which is another way of saying like your life must be a living offering that is being offered to God. So the way that you live is in one way how we give back to God the very gift that he has given us. So here we go. I'm finishing with this, I promise, because this is the last page in my notes. So how do we begin to get some traction on this? How do we begin to try to not be like those hypocrites in first century so Ephesians chapter 5, I'm just going to give you some verses, and I just encourage you to go and read Ephesians chapter 5. But Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 says this, Be imitators of God as beloved children of God. Imitate God. What would God do? Live that way. Another way of saying is, what has God done for you? Like you have to reflect on that and be super aware of what God has done for you, how he has forgiven you, how he was patient Right, like how it took, how like God had been calling you for like 30 years, but then finally you give your life to Jesus because he's been pulling you this whole time. Like, be patient. So imitate God. For once you lived in darkness, 
But now in the Lord, you are light. Live as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord and take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Verse 15, be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise and make the most of the time. And verse 18 really sums this up. Be filled with the Spirit. The only way to combat hypocrisy, first and foremost, is the Holy Spirit that is working through you. But it is also, as Paul's command is to be imitators of Christ, be filled with the Spirit. Do not live as children of darkness because you are a child of light and live as a light and as stars that shine in the darkness. Amen. The song we'll sing together is 309, I Surrender All.